0: What's going on, everyone? Alex Joteras here with another Knicks episode for the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast. And today we got a phenomenal guest. We got Dallas on the pod and we're going to talk about the X's and O's under Tibbs' new coaching system. Then we're going to touch on what we can see, all the different aspects that we could expect from Tibbs as a head coach. And then, John, what do we got for etc. today?
1: What's up, Alex? For Etcetera today, we got the NBA bubble with the conference finals wrapping up and the NBA finals coming around and the MLB playoffs, man. The Yankees are somehow in it and we're ready to go. So we'll talk about that for a little bit.
0: Phenomenal. They're bringing us joy after all, right?
1: <laughs> we'll see.
0: All right. You know what to do, Ricey. On everyone. This is Al Jeteris here with the Knicks, Jets, etc. podcast with another Knicks episode. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my buddy, my pal, the man who's living the dream right now out in L.A., John Malika. How are you doing, John? How's the weather out there?
1: What's up, man? I'm in Newport for the week, and it's honestly unfair that other humans get to live like this all year round. That's all I have to say.
0: Oh, yeah? So uh, are you moving out there permanently?
1: I wouldn't go that far, but like waking up at eight in the morning and like, it being jam-packed because everyone is getting ready with their surfboards. Like, just like walk over there. It's just such a good feeling. It's just, it's just different out here, man.
0: That is a totally different lifestyle than I'm used to. You're lucky out here. Like, it's a little chilly, so you're getting to get away from all this, like, meh weather. You know, it's hot during the day, super cold at night. I don't, I don't know what to do. That's just the East Coast in general. But, John, we got a phenomenal guest with us today. We got yes. us – Amico, staff writer at the Strickland. Also, he's getting his Ph.D. from UC San Diego State in Philosophy. Dallas, how are you doing today?
2: I am doing excellently. I'm actually planning on uh, uh, hitting the waves here in a little bit myself. I'm out in San Diego, so I'm going to be surfing this evening.
0: (laughs) Oh, man, look at this. A guy from the East Coast goes out to the West Coast, starts to get into surfing. Look at you.
1: I've been corrupted. (laughs) He knows what he's doing. I'll tell you that much.
0: For sure. I mean, you you were smart enough to to get away from here and uh, <laughs> to have nice weather all year round in San Diego, Dallas. How how how's school and everything going? Are you still in school?
2: Yeah, that's right. I got a couple years left. Uh, <laughs> I'm at that point where it's just like you know you got to write a dissertation. <laughs> no more courses or anything. Just like uh, uh, gotta write <laughs> write a, write a giant manuscript. So uh, it's coming, but slowly but surely.
0: That's awesome. And, you know, speaking of writing, you do a great uh, great job at the Strickland. You you know, clearly you're doing enough writing at all places right now. And I see that's like another way to get your Knicks fandom out there where you're not keeping your head in the books. And that's what we got you on today, man. We're going to talk some X's and O's about uh, Thibodeau's system because recently you wrote something for the Strickland uh, talking about drop in ice coverage. And that's Thibodeau's bread and butter for such a long time. And you pointed out that, uh, you know, the Celtics still run it today. They don't do a lot of it, but they still implement it into their system. So, yeah, can you go into a little bit about that, I guess? Like, what 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 do you think with Thibodeau's system? Do you, are you trying to say that we can still use it and it's still effective? Or, like, what's going on?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I found it kind of puzzling, actually. There's uh, – I don't <laughs> – I I wasn't able to find any articles specifically like focused on this, but um, a number of articles that I found were sort of would sort of just like um, and podcasts as well like I that I'd listen to there would be dismissive comments made about ice coverage um, it was outdated you know and people would say this about uh, Thibodeau's defense it's outdated it's not you know built for the modern NBA um, this sort of thing um, I find that to be puzzling because lots of uh, really really excellent defenses do use ice and drop coverage um, on occasion. Um, And sometimes, you know, depending on matchups, sometimes quite frequently, in fact. Um, Boston, especially early in the series, um, I didn't didn't watch the last game uh, very closely, so I don't know what happened there. Um, But early in the series, the first couple of games, they were using ice coverage extensively, um, especially any time, essentially, that um, Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo were running side pick and rolls. Um, they were using ice coverage. I mean, and this is the Eastern Conference Finals, and this is, I mean, the Celtics are widely regarded as one of the best defenses Mm -hmm. um, in the NBA, Uh, and Brad Stevens is widely regarded as a competent, if not good, if not great, uh, defensive coach. Um, Yeah, so I just—I think just, like, from a starting point before getting into, like, the actual X's and O's or whatever, um, the thought that, or the claim that sometimes has been uh, uh, expressed that, ice coverage or drop coverage is outdated in the modern NBA um, is a little too far. Maybe it was a a reaction or an overreaction to how bad the Timberwolves were on defense when Thibodeau was there, but I'm not sure that that was the scheme's fault um, per se.
0: Gotcha. So I guess, because I agree, you know, when Tib was out in Minnesota, we're talking about, you know, And you pointed out in your article, too, where drop coverage and a drop and ice coverage are meant for athletic centers who are able to guard the paint. And Cat, from his time, has shown that he's not capable of doing so. You know, that's great offensively, miserable on defense. And, you know, I guess. I don't know, like I feel. I agree with your point that it's like it's talked about so much. Like, we hear this taboo thing like, drop an ice coverage, drop an ice coverage. Like, there's even a bleacher report piece that says that Thibodeau has, I don't know, that was like the biggest flaws that it's still so archaic and it shouldn't be used today. But yet, you point out that the Celtics are using it, right? So, is it just like, is it, is it based on matchups that you use it? Is it what, What? like, what? what would you say that is like for? I guess this whole thing. And do you think it was just like blown out of proportion because the Timberwolves were just so bad? Like, what, what do you got about that?
2: Uh, yeah. So a couple of things, first of all. Um, so about the, uh the bigs, um, any, I mean, any defensive coverage is better if your bigs are athletic, <laughs> the, the more ground they can cover the better. Um, but actually drop dropping ice coverage is often very useful when your bigs aren't athletic enough to get to the level of the screen. So like, you know, in if you're going to trap or blitz the pick and roll or hedge, if you're basically, if you're big is going to come all the way up to where the screen is being set um, when they're defending or, 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 further to really block off the ball handler, that requires a lot of foot speed. Um, Cause not only do they have to get out there uh, fast enough against some guys, you know, like Kevin Walker or something it's like really quick, but then they also, um if it's not a switch scheme have to recover to their man so um some people might remember like during the miami heat uh championship run not this current one but the you know with lebron james chris bosh used to you know they would always blitz the pick and rolls and you'd see chris bosh he'd sometimes be um um because when you blitz a pick and roll when you try to get out past the level of the screen the point guard's job or the ball handler's job is to uh uh string out the big as far as possible so you like basically run away from your screener because what you want to do is force that big to keep following you and get further and further away from his man making it harder to recover but chris Bosch was just incredible in those years uh, with his speed to recover and that defense had a lot of length too so they were able to uh, 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 disrupt passing lanes that otherwise may have been open but um the the real point being is um drop and ice coverage can sometimes cover for a slower footed big man, because they get to sort of drop back into the paint um, and don't have to come way out, don't have to worry about the point guard so much um, on the perimeter, they just have to keep them in front of them. That's like their only responsibility, essentially. Keep the point guard in front of them um, until the uh, defender has time to recover in front, uh, in front of the ball handler, the, their primary defender, at which point then they recover back to the big. Um, so it actually can uh, it can help um, slower footage. So, for example, like Brooke Lopez, you know, nobody is, or, or, or uh, uh, Rudy Gobert. These are guys, these are classic drop uh, or ice coverage defenders, uh, big men, who, despite uh, having slow foot speed, are able to be really impactful defenders um, uh, uh, as a result of this coverage, or in part because of this coverage.
1: Cool, cool. So I, I know you touched on it a little bit, but could you just go into, uh, I guess the differences between like the blitz or the hedge off the pick and roll, as opposed to the drop and ice, like what is the drop and ice coverage for people who like have never heard of that term before, have never played basketball, you know, technical, just like, you know, go play at the park. Um, and what's the difference between, I guess, uh, the 2019 Knicks, you know, how they used to play their pick and rolls where we're kind of just like switching everything and like uh, how it compares to the drop and ice.
2: Yeah, those are really good questions. Um, it, it's, it's, uh, let's see how we can do. It's tough to do like film stuff on, uh, on a podcast. Um, <laughs> yeah. um, but okay. So all pick and rolls, right. They start, there's the ball handler and a guy who sets the screen. And then, um, there are two primary defenders, the guy who's guarding the ball handler, the guy who's guarding the screener. So, In drop coverage, what usually happens is this. Um, It's sometimes uh, longer, uh, its longer name is drop and trail coverage. Um, And uh, this is, uh, the trail essentially means that the person who's guarding, the point of attack defender, the person who's guarding the ball handler, goes over the top of the screen. Um, And when they go over the top of the screen, their goal is to stay connected to the ball handler, to sort of put pressure on them from the back um, or from the side. To make it difficult for them to shoot a pull-up three, um, how effective that is uh, varies based on the shooter and based on uh, how connected you can stay um, when going over the screen. Um, not always super effective. It doesn't help when it's Steph Curry or Lillard. Like it's just there's just no winning no matter what you do there. That's right. Yep, they're going to be able to get shots off against drop and trail coverage. Um, yeah. So uh, so in drop and trail coverage, the point of attack defender goes over the screen and the big drops back towards the paint. Um, Usually there will be like maybe three, four, even on some more extreme drops, like 10 feet between the the screener and the big. Um, And their job essentially is when the ball handler comes around um, uh, uh, the screen, it's important to note since the other defender is trailing him, there is nobody in front of him, right? He doesn't have a defender essentially. Um, And the big now has both the screener in front of him and the ball handler in front of him. So his responsibility is basically to backpedal towards the rim and keep both of them in front of him. He doesn't want to let either of them get behind him. The big gets behind him, might give up a lob. If the ball handler gets behind him, give up a layup. So his goal is to sort of get big um, and keep his arms out and prevent either of them from getting deep into the paint. Ideally, when drop and trail coverage works really well, you give up uh, roughly open mid-range jumpers, right? Because you force them off the three-point line with the trail, um, staying closely connected, and then the big gives them a nice open cushion in the mid-range, where supposedly, right, those are supposed to be the most inefficient shots. Um, so your goal is to sort of force that. It just dead uh, He doesn't like to hear that.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what? Wait,
2: what? What was that? Alex doesn't like to hear that the
1: mid-range is
0: dead. The mid-range is not dead, all right? <laughs> when I go to the park, I am like DeMar DeRozan. The mid-range is where I stay, and that's where I'll live. I can shoot the three, though, better than – no, I'm just kidding. Not better than De, DeMar DeRozan, but I like to shoot the three as well, but more so the mid-range.
2: <laughs> it's certainly not dead at the park, that's for sure. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, so so that's basically what drop coverage is. Um And, you know, once the point of attack defender comes around the trail, their responsibility is to fight like hell to get back in front of the ball handler. Um, And if they can't, they're supposed to try to rear view, contest, you know, like uh, try to get get a hand uh, to disrupt them from behind. Um, But yeah, so that's essentially in the trail. Um, Ice coverage is very similar. Um, So first of all, just when we we were talking, one of the things we were talking about is like whether ice coverage is outdated. Um, one reason for like being very skeptical of these claims, even before, like looking to see if other NBA teams are using it is that drop coverage and ice coverage are very, very similar. And there are, I think maybe the Rockets is the, are the only NBA team who does not use drop coverage sometimes. Um, and many teams, for example, like the Milwaukee Bucks or Utah Jazz are like, um, uh, I, I mean, Utah Jazz, they sometimes mix things up a little bit, but, um, it's almost all drop coverage like drop coverage is just what many nba teams do and many great defenses at least um, regular season defenses and that's a discussion to have too um but so that should be that should like have bells ringing in your head like probably ice coverage isn't that outdated if it's very very similar to a defense that uh many if not all nba teams use frequently um so okay so ice coverage um Most frequently, you'll see ice coverage used against side pick and rolls. It can be used in the middle, but um, most frequently, you'll see it used against side pick and rolls. Essentially, the only difference between drop and trail coverage and ice coverage is that the ball, uh, or excuse me, the point of attack defender, rather than waiting for the screen to happen and then going over it, doesn't let the ball handler use the screen. So, imagine if you will, the ball handler is running towards the screen with the ball right? And they're about to use it. What the defender has to do, the point of attack defender, is jump out between the ball handler and the screener and actually get above the screener. So right into the path of where the ball handler wants to go. Um, It kind of looks funny. It looks like he's guarding the baseline or something like this. Like, (laughs) nobody's trying to get there, man. Why? (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, So yeah, he he hops out and and, uh, does that. And essentially what he does is say, um, to the ball handler, um, you have half of the court to use. I will give you that portion of the court, but no more right you 're not getting over this screen um, and then if it 's a side p- pick and roll um, you've uh, you 've ideally forced the defend or excuse me the ball handler back into the baseline so now everything continues essentially how drop coverage would continue. Um, the point of attack defender is going to attempt to get back in of his man the ball handler once the ball handler moves away from the screener um, the drop uh big man is going to do his best to keep both men in front of him he has an advantage now he has the baseline as a friend if it's a side pick and roll that they're defending right so he can force them into the baseline and use that as a third defender um, um, but otherwise yeah it's basically turns into drop coverage with the advantage that the point of attack defender um doesn't have to fight over a screen. So it's easier for them to stay connected to the ball handler, um, and contest three point shots, for example, pull up threes, um, and easier for them to recover in front of their man. Um, and, uh, yeah, it also has, um, so like when you force a ball handler, uh, baseline, another advantage is that it becomes very difficult unless you're like LeBron James to hit the other, the, uh, the weak side corner to hit the other corner, right? That's a long pass. You're going over multiple defenders to get it there, um, usually at least two, sometimes three. Um, those windows are tight. So essentially what you do is in a, mid, in a middle pick and roll that's guarded from drop, you know, the ball handler when they come around, um, come around the screen often can hit a pass to the roll man, to the man in the dunker spot, or to either corner or wing, right? Like they have the whole floor. That's all from the middle of the floor you can hit, you know, anybody you want. Um, ice coverage tries to shut that off. By having a defender always on one of your hips, it makes it difficult to hit that portion of the court. Um, and especially if it's against a side pick and roll, it makes it difficult to hit the weak side corner. So you sort of limit, ideally, passing options. Um, so that's just like, what is what is drop and ice coverage? So hopefully that was uh, clear enough for a podcast.
0: <laughs> no, I think it definitely is. I think, you know, let me see if I can just like, condense like what you're you're essentially saying so uh, for the listeners out there so for drop coverage right you're not taking away the the i guess the middle of the court for you know the ball handler to attack so it gives you the option as you already said to do either you know p- pick and rolls dump out to the corners for a three or just like for to even open up a mid-range shot right so you still have like that the your big is dropped so far back where there's still some options right for ice you're talking about you know, you're limiting a lot of options at this point. Essentially what you're doing is you're isolating the ball handler to make a tough decision on whether to continue to attack or potentially just try to have to reset the entire play which eats up more clock, right? And you take away the corner three, you take away like easy pick and rolls for the most part but that's essentially what those two coverages are, correct? If that's, if I'm doing it right.
2: Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, the only thing t- is a little harder and I it was just me I wasn't being as clear about this because I was talking about side pick and rolls mostly. It's a little harder for ice coverage to take away the other side of the floor when it's in the if you use it in the middle of the pick uh, like on a middle pick and roll. Um, still it's still maybe a little more effective than drop and trail because at taking away the other side of the floor because the uh, point of attack defender is supposed to be um, you know right in the guy's hit. Um, So especially if you have somebody long, like Frank, maybe, uh, you know, you can sort of disrupt those passing lanes. Um, But it's not quite the same as being like sandwiched between um, the point of attack defender and the big um, on the sideline where that's like, plus then the weak side corner is going to have, there's going to be a defender there between right in the passing line. Um, uh, Yeah. But yeah, no, that's yeah. Right on all of it.
0: Gotcha! Awesome, and I know you just got the Frank Hive uh, excited out there where you hear some a long defend. Whoa, long defender! Whoa, we got one of those! Holy crap!
2: <laughs> Frank Hive.
0: <laughs> uh, support, support, Frank, man. I hope he does well under uh, Tibbs. But so now that you've gone into detail about these two defensive coverages, right? which would you say fits the current Knicks makeup with the roster that we currently have? Or I know like we have the draft that's going to occur. We're going to have free agency that's also going to occur like two days after the draft. So this team's going to get an overhaul. Even Thibodeau himself mentioned that this is not the team that he's coaching. This is pretty much a camp. This is a basketball camp that he's coaching, which I find hilarious when someone, when you have like a professional, like, yeah, I'm hosting like a glorified basketball camp. Let's let's do it. (laughs)
1: Camp trying to like uh, get you to pay for your kids to come for the month, like <laughs> that's what it sounds like. <laughs>
0: exactly. So Dallas, what do you what do you think? Do you think do you think Tibbs is going to use both? Like, what do you think currently would work best on this team?
2: Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I expect him to use both. Um, uh, so I think um, what what will work best. So I think what will work best is having one scheme. Um, I mean, drop and ice are similar enough that you can you could use both of them um, without having to change too much and confuse uh, defenders too much. But I think, especially early on in the season, um, the Knicks will be best served by using one scheme and allowing their players to really, their young players, right, to really get good at it. Um, so one thing we saw happen with Fisdale was like, Uh, he changed schemes frequently um, often mid game uh, or if not mid game every other game and I think there was a lot of oftentimes really good reasons for why he was doing what he was doing Um, but (laughs) the players that he had were just not prepared to execute um, as if they were the Toronto Raptors or something right where like these like smart experienced vets who have um utilized these 18 different defensive schemes uh throughout their careers right and have them under their belt like this instead he had raw defenders who really 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 didn't know their assignments frequently um and were blowing them left and right and weren't improving because they were often so they appeared at least unsure of their assignments so much that they weren't able to sort of just like sit back and like uh, not think and, and instead just like react and learn and um, see the same thing over and over the same, you know, like if you run drop coverage over and over, you're gonna see that um, ball handler coming around the screen in almost the exact same way, every single, you know, 30 times a night, uh, every single night you play, right? Um, and so seeing that over and over that, that stability, I think is really important and useful for young guys. Um, and once you get down, you, you get, you get really good at one scheme, then you can branch out and start developing, um, the relevant skills and habits, uh, for other schemes. Um, if you want to mix things up. So what I really hope dibs does is at the beginning, um, uh, 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 stick with one scheme. Now what's going to be most effective? Well, so when you have a big, like Mitchell Robinson, you have a lot of flexibility, um, But I still think what's ideal for a big like Mitchell Robinson is something like drop and ice coverage. Um, Because what those coverages do is allow the big to stay deep in the paint. Um, And uh, by not having them, so what can happen is in, even if you try to blitz a pick and roll or you try to switch a pick and roll, um, the big can get taken away from the rim and the offense can swing the ball and attack the rim with the big knock there. So when you have one of the best shot blockers in the NBA, um, you don't want to give the offense easy opportunities for attacking the rim without him there, right? His, his biggest skill, his biggest advantage um, is when he's at the rim defending, uh, defending people coming downhill. Um, so ideally, you want him there as much as possible. It'll increase the number of shots he has um, a chance of affecting um, and will in the end make him more impactful um, so um, I mean, I have lots of views about like what should NBA defenses look like in the playoffs versus what should they should they look like on developing teams um, so like I think those things are different, but for now, I'd like to see Mitch get tons of reps in like just drop and ice coverage and I, I would like to see Tibbs not really try to get fancy and mix things up based on matchups or mix things up based on opponents and just really let let the young guys um, get the feel of the scheme.
1: It's interesting you said that because um, I remember in like one of your old pieces you uh, were talking about how Miller simplifies the schemes and that you didn't like that. And now um, I guess the major conflict about tibs is he so complicated he makes his players try so hard etc etc um how do you think how do you think the tibs defense will actually translate like on paper sounds fantastic right you know we could talk about it all day um but how do you think like the actual players will respond to tibs because we saw how they responded to miller right they had the simplified schemes and they ran the simplified schemes you know it was super simple and you know, just to touch on it, we—I think as Knicks fans, we kind of elevate Mitch Robinson into this like Tyson Chandler, Dallas, you know, and like he's just automatically there. But I can't get over the fact that he can't—he gets four fouls in thirty-five seconds. So I, I don't know if we could like uh, really develop a whole scheme around him. Uh, so I'm just kind of wondering, like, we have a bunch of guards, right? Like that—that's what we have. We have a bunch of guards who can't guard the three, and we got forwards who can't guard the paint. So so like I guess like the question is how do you reconcile that? You know, because those are the those are the main culprits in the pick and roll. So how like how is this team or how is um Tibbs gonna reconcile this?
2: Um yeah, yeah. So I guess I mean the way I'm thinking about it just like from a team building perspective is like, I mean, who knows? You just <laughs> mentioned the Tibbs quote about like this isn't my team, this is the team I'll be coaching. <laughs> um uh but <laughs> I hadn't actually heard that, it's really funny. Um, But, uh, no, so, like, I I guess when I think about it from a team-building perspective, what I really care about at this point is, like, looking at the roster, it's maximizing the young guys. Like, I really don't care too much about, like, um, having a scheme that fits, like, Taj Gibson or Reggie Bullock or whatever. Um, I want something that's going to put – mitch and frank and rj and knox um, in the best possible positions to succeed and develop um, and the best positions for us to get information about them uh, going forward so that we can make you know the most informed decisions about future contracts trades uh etc um so yeah i i really want to see schemes that are geared towards mitch and frank um, and rj Knox. um and and to be honest i actually think i think drop coverage works very well for um i mean frank of course is with is an excellent drop and trail coverage defender um and i think rj um rj is uh he can fit in a lot of schemes he's i don't think of him as like a big plus on the defensive side but he's competent um i think it's just really hard to be a big plus as a two or a three in the nba on defense because you affect so few possessions um Uh, it's like, you know, I mean, so few, so few shots are actually coming against that particular defender where you end up um, affecting things is with your off ball defense uh, a lot. And, you know, RJ is a solid or competent, at least he seemed to me in his first season um, uh, team defender. And I think that can improve as he, as he ages a little bit, matures a little bit. Um, So yeah, I think dropping trails fine for them. Some of the stuff that is uh, Thibodeau does like, um, zoning up and flooding the strong side can be can start getting a little bit more complicated um, and maybe challenging um, for some of the young guys. I don't know if if I was I mean I'm obviously not for good reason in Tibbs' <laughs> shoes, but I don't know that I would start off by like trying to have them ready to do that sort of stuff. Um, uh, uh, like I said, I think I'd take the slow tack, um, the slow track, and. <laughs> start, start, start developing them with just like drop and ice coverage. Um, I don't know. What did you guys, what do you guys think about that stuff? Um,
0: I, I think, no, Like I think everything that you say. like I believe that Thibodeau is going to instill like a good defensive system. And even what we saw recently, right. That uh, the Knicks are looking at Okoro at the eighth pick, right? So if they take Okoro, we're, we're really focusing on defense and trying to make that like the main point. And that's what Thibodeau said, right? He wants to, solidify the defense he wants to make sure we can hit our corner threes and those are like the two main aspects about it right and playing team basketball we have guys who can do that between Frank RJ uh, Mitch has to work on his passing you know and has to get out stay out of foul trouble and has to be able to take a mid-range jumper you know RJ has to improve his jump shot we see videos of him working on his jump shot so everyone get excited because he's trying to put in the work all right and Frank just has to improve overall, overall, like offensively. And I think the most interesting part about this is that Thibodeau previously said that he liked Dennis Smith Jr. Right. And that's probably the most interesting part of where this whole rebuild and developing, you know, uh, or creating this, this roster is what are we doing with Dennis Smith Jr.? Because, you know, if we want to go talk about on the, on the offensive side of the ball now and move away from the defense, um, You know, he does exactly what, I guess, Thibodeau liked when he had D. Rose, right? He's a guard that can, like, drive and attack the lane. Um, Dennis Smith Jr., when he's feeling it, he's on it. He can make some solid passes, kick it out. Uh, That's what you hope that he can bounce back and do. Um, Yeah, when he's feeling it. I know, when he's feeling it. That's a big if and when he's feeling
1: it. Um, I'm I'm with you, dude, because honestly, Morant and Westbrook and D. Rose and Dennis Smith Jr. are all cut from the same cloth. Like, they all are cut from the same cloth. The weather, like, one exceeds, you know, his expectation in the scheme or the team is one thing. But I do think, I mean, what point guard on the planet Earth was going to succeed with the Knicks these last two years? Like, please tell me.
0: I mean, that's a, that's a fair point. We even did Frank Dirty for the first three years, right? So you even give him a fair shot under Fisdale, under Hornacek, uh, you name it, it just has been.
1: literally just triggered me by saying the name Hornacek. And I, he like completely like was erased from my memory of being part of the Knicks organization. You just triggered me.
0: That, that name triggers you. Derek Fisher triggers me. Okay. Just thinking about Derek Fisher as a head coach on this team, when we could have had Steve Kerr and Steve Kerr's like, not going to that hot mess, going to Golden State. Um, I don't know. Like defensively, I'm actually, but just to touch it before we go offense, defensively, I'm like pretty confident that we're going to have like a solid team and whoever we add, I know Thibodeau. Whether like we're looking at Macelle, we're looking at Okoro. Uh, you know, we don't know if the Knicks are going to trade back if they get my guy uh, Kierat Lewis, who I would be happy with too. Um, and we don't even know if they're going to move up. I think moving up is a little wild. Uh, the only real option is probably trading with the Hawks, and I, and I still can't figure out what we would give and what we would get. Um, and we're not getting Lamella because that's going to have to go. You have to go all the way up to two because you have to pass the Bulls and the Hornets to really secure that. Um, so I'm expecting a wing defender or a wing in general with the We, cause we need wings. We need wings. And even as Dallas pointed out, that's, uh, it's one of the toughest areas where it to be very impactful, but shout out to CP from Knicks fan TV. He pointed it out when, uh, when, when I was on there with him and even still to this day that, you know, our division has a lot of guys. When you get, look at Ben Simmons, when you look at Pascal Siakam, when you have Tatum and Brown, uh, there's a lot of guys and you also have Kevin Durant. There's a lot of guys at the, at the three that has to be guarded. And that's the biggest place to make an impact. Right. So I think, you know, I I won't be too concerned. I know like we're still rebuilding teams. So whoever we draft, it's just going to be, it's going to be a work in progress. But as Dallas pointed out, and as you pointed out, John from like in his last piece, simplifying, it makes it easy, especially when you have a young roster who can't like um, who, who, who throwing a lot at like, anyone right like you gotta start with the basics before you go get advanced and even dallas pointed out like with nick nurse nick nurse talked about how he kept it simple in toronto and then was able to add all these layers of foundations of like you know that's where you get to see the box and one come out and you're like whoa this is wild boxing one um but yeah i guess so with the defense on the side let's move offense we're going to be i feel like we're going to be visible um and with the guys that we have you know the one thing i will say looking up Previous, what'd you say?
1: Is that because the Knicks roster or because of Tibbs?
0: Uh, I say more so the roster over than Tibbs because Tibbs still had top performing offenses. And with the guys that we have, with like Johnny Bryant, uh I know Kenny Payton played college, so college is kind of different because it's more team basketball. But we also have Mike Woodson, and those two guys will have to do ISO heavy play, right? So we don't really have a guy that's ISO ready. So that's where I think we're going to struggle. It's going to be more team basketball. And I guess. Do you guys what do you what do you guys see with because uh, we got the lob threat in Mitchell Robinson, and we know we want to make RJ a playmaker. So do you think we can have like RJ as uh, a true on ball like handle a uh, ball handler, getting it to Mitch or just making plays to everybody? Those are these are like the key guys that we gotta rely on. So what do you guys think, Dallas John? Uh,
2: I, yeah, I don't know if you want to go first, John. Or... Oh, do you think? What that? Okay. Um uh yeah good so there's a really interesting question that um, I think comes up from uh what you just asked. So um personally, I think um the outcome where RJ becomes a like a, a primary or like you know an on ball offensive creator, um, I think those scenarios are few and far between, so I, I mean i just I don't see it as like a really likely outcome. Or RJ Barrett, um, but there's a really interesting development question. Um, you'll, you'll notice that, like as we talk, like most of the time, um, these sorts of questions about like what sort of how we should run, use our, our how the offense should look, um, how the defense should look. In my mind, right now, as a as in if I'm thinking of like you know the Knicks, I'm not thinking like how can we win games or how can we be the best on the court. Everything in my mind is like how can I how can we maximize. Uh, our assets for the future? How can I make RJ the best player in the future? How can I put Mitch in the best position to succeed? How can I get the most information possible about the young guys so I can make more informed decisions going forward? So like, I'm, re- I'm not thinking we're winning next year. I mean, maybe we trade for Chris Paul and do something like that, in which case then I think it's inevitable almost that we make the playoffs, <laughs> um, which I don't really, um, uh, I don't think that's the way to go. But so given the current state of things my like all of my thoughts are about are about that so when you ask about um whether rj can be on the ball all the time the question that comes to my mind is and it's one i don't really know the answer to is um is it better to for like development to have a guy um just in his role and uh like the future role you imagine for him um and really really getting reps in that role trying to nail it um, becoming an expert, if you will, at doing those things. Sort of like, you know, the development arc we see with like maybe OG and obi. Like he's never he was like, you know, coming. There's like three things you're asked to do, man, on the offensive side of the ball. It's like you space the floor, right? You swing the ball, you drive and kick. Literally nothing else. Right. Don't 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 be trying to create. If you get stuck on the, you know, like you switch just swing the ball. Don't, don't no no dribbling, right? Um, and we've seen him make you know massive progress so one one school of thought would be like all right put r j in the role you see him in the future this sort of like maybe secondary playmaker um playing off somebody else, taking advantage of advantages that have already been created uh, by a lead a lead ball handler um or uh, uh, and, and yeah anyway so there, that's one sort of school of thought, but another school school of thought is um closer to i think the sort of um at least question that you are asking, you're asking, should we just like put them on ball? Right? Um, So that one school thought would be stretch these guys, right? Like, put them, challenge them, put them in these, they're not going to be in these roles in the future. But maybe by being in them now, it will give them um, maybe more confidence, maybe some extra skills that they otherwise wouldn't develop that can be useful when they scale back into their other sort, other sort of roles. Um, so you might think like, well, one skill that's super useful in, uh, if you're going to be like a, an OG Ananobi driving kick player is being able to, um, pick out the open man when you're driving to the hoop. Well, you know, one way you'll get a lot of reps doing that is if you're the official playmaker on a team, right? Like if you're the primary, um, you're constantly going to be driving to the hoop and trying to make, right. Those reads. So it, you might be able to develop some of those skills by having extra responsibilities. I don't know. So, what do you guys think about
1: those two sort of styles of development? Playoffs. Playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> the Knicks right now. Um, I, I I definitely agree with you about the the whole RJ Barrett uh I kind of like question mark being on the ball. Uh where I'm gonna disagree with you is where I wanna see him. I think that we kind of tried this RJ Barrett at point guard thing last year because well, we didn't really have another choice, and I, I think it's actually negatively uh, negatively affecting his development rather than like adding more skill sets. I think it's um, not sharpening what he's really good at, and I think that's what we have to do. Um, every every good NBA coach, like if you like Spolstra, for example, he takes whatever his players are good at, and he just makes them do that thing, right? He's not gonna you know he's not gonna like make. Uh, Adebayo like bring up the ball you know what I mean just because Adebayo's good and he's been doing really well you know what I mean just like he's he just he puts everybody in the right position and for me that's not RJ's position he honestly to me I don't know if this is going to trigger Alex but he kind of plays like Red Van Fleet to me like he like RJ RJ's a fan (laughs) fleet he's giving me a face RJ's Van Fleet and like he needs a Kyle Lowry you know what I mean he needs an actual point guard to like play off of and then What's really interesting about the offense that uh, Alex was specifically uh, bringing up, because he always talks about Mitch Robinson as the, you know, the, the lob guy, like the Texan Chandler. But if R.J. Barrett could figure out how to run the, the pick and roll as a shooting guard, you know, with a power forward or with Mitch Robinson, I think that would be really where we go to the next level as a squad and R.J. Barrett in his game. Because if we're, like, relying on a normal offense – like with a point guard and just like, you know, swinging and like running a normal offense. And then all of a sudden we can just dish it out to RJ and he could run like smooth pick and roll, you know, when we are stagnant, like that's the dream. Like RJ Barrett bringing up the ball, standing there for three seconds at half court and then passing the ball away. Like there's already 10 seconds left on the shot clock. And we don't have a play going yet. You know what I mean? Um, like that's just like brings back PTSD from last year. Like that's just all I see from the Knicks the last like last year, last ten years. is just dribbling up the floor, you know, taking like five to six seconds to pass half court, standing at the half court line because we don't have a point guard. Somebody rolls up the top off a screen, we give them the ball, and now there's like n- no nine, ten seconds left on the shot clock. We, we don't even have a play yet. You know what I mean? So that's why I give it to Randall. He does a spin move, and everyone freaks out. <laughs> or you know, you give it to like Frank, and he takes a bad mid range. And then we don't have anyone to kick it out to. Like, that's the stuff that drives me nuts. RJ, if he could just, like, s- drive to the hoop whenever he can or, you know, pop it, you know, have that, you know, fire stroke that we kind of see in camp that he's working on, which kind of looks a little bit different. Uh, I-, I don't know if uh, you guys noticed. He kind of – his hitch looks a little gone. He kind of looks really smooth uh, with the left. So, I, I-, I don't know. I kind of want him to be the Rosen. I guess I guess that's my that's my ceiling for RJ. Like if you could just beat DeRozan with a sort of pick and roll, that'd be good. I don't really see him as a I don't know D Rose, right? Like a like a slasher. Like that's just not his. I don't want him to bring up the ball. That's just my opinion on the, on RJ.
0: So I just want to clarify with the whole RJ being uh, Van Vliet, You're not talking about skill set. You're talking about just needing a guy to be able to play off ball, right? Because as yeah, not- I
1: mean he's not as good as Van Vliet, but you're gonna tell me RJ. Is is not Van Fleet, his first year out of Wichita State. I mean, uh, it's not that. I don't think it's that comparable. I mean, the Raptors are eleven million times better than the Knicks. So you just it's hard to like figure out how good a point guard is when he can't pass to anyone. Like he's passing to Reggie Bullock, dude.
0: I think I think that's to, two totally different skill sets that we're talking about. But I, I can agree with that. He has to work off ball. He can't be a prime. He can't be the primary ball handler. I can I can agree with that. I think. For I think the two train of thoughts that we're talking about that Dallas has brought that Dallas has brought up whether you have the guy be an expert at that one at those traits that you're good at like uh, the the Raptors do with uh, OG Ananobi or if you push him to be you know kind of like. Uh, like a switchblade, right. And try to like, figure it out and try to like expand like on all these roles that maybe you're not comfortable with. I think it also is based on the construction of the team, right? If we just have these guys, unless like we have everyone that can be good at something to make them go forward and still be like a competent team where we're not getting blown out and stuff like that. Sure. Why not just have them uh, be good at that one or very few things that they have in their arsenal, you know, and they can play within their envelope. But if, they, if we don't even have that, right, and we're just like, well, we got to figure out to do something, like night in and night out. I think they're, that's where you start saying, look, the where are we at at this point where we have to expand everybody, right? So everyone, like, get comfortable. Like, we know that Mitch, right, is good at the lob. We, uh, we already explained that. He's good defensively, right? But people are asking for him to take jump shots, right? So if that's not in his, like, are we going to be asking? Like, I think we should ask him to expand that arsenal because that's necessary in today's game right i think what we ask these guys to do is based on what is necessary in today's game and not asking to go too far out i think it's nice it's gonna be a nice balancing trick between both of them having them utilize their strong skill sets while also getting them to expand because another thing that we're asking rj is to be a secondary playmaker right this is where he really needs to expand and be that guy if we're going to have him as a foundational piece so if he's not necessarily good and he's not good with his right hand, like dribbling, like he's very good with the left and he's very difficult. It's very difficult for him to even go right. You just see like his body is just like, it's not fluent enough where he can go to the right and finish on the, with the right. You have to push that in order for him to get better. And there's no better reps than also doing um, game reps than in practice. What you're doing in practice, like you gotta get to a certain level in practice where it's like, okay, now you can try this during the game. And then when you get into those game like experiences, that's where you're able to, start to master and get a feel because the, sh- the shot the clock is going to be different Everything, the whole aspect of the game just changes uh, drastically with uh, with how it's set up so it's a good it's a very interesting train of, to use those two train of thoughts I think it's going to be a combo of both and it's I know it sounds like the cop out answer but I really think The Knicks are not in the situation as the Raptors. They're not in the situation as the Miami Heat where it's like, okay, OG, uh, we got guys, we got Van Vliet, Gasol, we got, you know, whether it was Kawhi last year or you have like Lowry, uh, you have even Pascal Siakam, right? We have all these guys who are good, who can just impact the game and make it easier for you to transition. We're not that. And same thing in Miami, like Pat Riley created a system where you can do that and you can Get guys who are free agents who are more uh, accustomed to the role, like Jimmy Butler. It's probably going to be both with the Knicks because we don't have that right now. So I don't know. What do you do? You guys agree with that? Do you guys think? What, what do you think? I mean, I guess I'll go. I'll go back to you, Dallas, since you brought the two train of thoughts. What do you think? Uh, what do you? What would you like to see the Knicks do? And whether you're using your two train of thoughts or do you think are you going to like hedge with me and say it's going to be a combo of both? What are you feeling?
2: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think I think the point you make about like <laughs> the Knicks just. So like if you want if you want to put RJ in uh, the secondary playmaker role, um, one really helpful thing would be to have a primary playmaker. <laughs> um, that makes it a lot easier to put him in that role. And yeah, um, unless we end up bringing a Chris Paul or Fred Bentley or DJ Augustine or something, some somebody like this in. Oh, you're true. Uh,
0: with uh dj augustine that's the last name he wants to hear
2: he <laughs> we just went
1: from chris paul to uh, dj augustine <laughs>
2: <We'll> just- <laughs> hey you know we're talking about like cheap one-on-one sort of deals that competent point guard play i don't know um yeah i don't mind dj i don't he's not like he's not like uh low average starting point guard in the nba but um he's you know right down there in the probably the 20 to 30 range for who's who right now on the Knicks would be Frank would be the best starter probably and he would be like maybe like the 50th best point guard in the NBA or 40th or something you know like he's not nowhere near the 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 level of Fred Bentley or I mean excuse me of DJ Augustine
0: oh for sure yeah no totally and um I mean uh, there is Alfred Payton on the team. So, I mean, you could go that
1: way.
2: <laughs> okay. Yeah, I always forget about him. I just assume he's gone. I don't know. Oh, man, Alfred Payton. That's right. That guy.
1: Yeah, who's like who loves to miss people on pick and roll. Even though I love Alfred Payton, but he's just he he runs the pick and roll and then just doesn't pass it. So I don't really understand his whole deal. But Dallas, I, I hope you remember what you just said because when DJ Augustine is in, in the game starting for the Knicks, like mid March, and we're just dying inside. Like I'm going, I'm going to bring this up. I'm going to be like, you guys wanted this. Like you guys asked for DJ Augustine. Here he is.
2: The only thing DJ Augustine can actually shoot a little bit. What um, needs if he's going to be on the floor, he needs to be on the floor with like a well spaced lineup. Um, and like the lineups we're throwing him out with, with like. <laughs> Randall and r j and oh, it was just uh there was like w- maybe one shooter in the lineup, maybe, um yeah, that was that's you're never gonna get competent play uh out of El- i mean i already I don't think I think of Alfred as like he puts up numbers, but I don't think that they're really like useful, valuable numbers. he's just like a, he dominates the ball a lot, and so it makes it the case that he gets a lot of assists because plays often end with him passing the ball because it's like, oh, shot clock's getting low, so I'm going to you know, pass. Somebody's got to shoot, and NBA players are pretty good at shooting. So um, a good number of those go in. And he does – he makes some fine reads, but I don't know. I don't see him as like el- elevating other guys' skills. Um, I don't see him – yeah, he's not, he's not like a complimentary player.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I mean, this is – we're going to – this is not like the Alfred Payton just like – Tear down over here, but you know, the one thing that he does he can't do is just shoot the three. If he can shoot the three, that's we're talking about a totally different player. Um oh yeah. Because
1: uh, you might be talking to the number one Alfred Payton fan here. I mean I, I was like screaming for Peyton. I loved him in Orlando. I know he's a Scott Perry disciple. Like I was ready for him to come and I was honestly expecting way more from him with with a nothing team because that's what he did in Orlando and he did pretty well. And the whole new the whole new Alfred Payton with the with the haircut, the short haircut is just a new guy. It's just not 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 the old Alfred Payton of Orlando, honestly. I don't know what it is.
0: Yeah, totally. I mean the thing with Payton, right, is those numbers are they're empty just kind of like when we had D Rose on the Knicks and sorry for triggering anyone out there, but it's just like, he gets a lot, of, he gets a lot of numbers. You're like, wait a minute. It's like when we had D Rose and it was like, he had 18 points, but how do we lose by like 15? What the hell's going on here? Like it makes no sense, but no, with Peyton, the other, the thing with Peyton is that he'll look people off. He looked RJ off. He gets a Randall. Randall will do his thing and whatever. Just like turn the ball over by having like all five defenders back. Like, here comes a spin move, get ready and pop. It's there. There's a turnover. So I think Dallas would bring up a good point, like we do need a playmaking point guard for this to change, but I think with Thibodeau, we're going to get, uh, there's no way Thibodeau can run a guy, run a team without a veteran point guard, someone, he tried Chris Dunn, uh, I believe it was in Minnesota, um, and for his first, his rookie year, and he he can't have like a new guy or like a young guy, and we're expected to either take a wing or point guard, so he's not going to work with us like a, a raw new guy and be like, all right because he's the extension of the coach, right? It's gonna be minimum DJ who's played with him. We either gonna trade for Chris Paul who elevates his team and will legit just coach these guys on the floor at the same time. Or, you know, there's also the rumor that uh Knicks fan TV brought out, which is the Mike Connolly trade. If we can trade Julius Randall and bring him there, which would be probably the best of both worlds. A Guy on a cheap deal for one year. We're well, not necessarily cheap, but like one year deal, you pay him like 30, whatever million. And he is also uh, can be an extension of Tibbs and can coach the players as well. Uh, it's going to be something along those lines, but I don't know. I guess moving on from the offense and going back into kind of coaching styles at this point, where do you see the changes that we're going to have from – like we know we got Tibbs. We know what Tibbs' is bread and butter is defense. We know like he likes to run a lot of isolation and having Woody on the sideline with Johnny Bryant from Portland – With all three of those guys came from heavily isolation teams. Trailblazers run a lot of isolation when Tibbs was out in Minnesota, and even with Chicago was a lot of isolation. Woodson and was here and also on the Clippers, a lot of isolation. Like I said, we don't have that. So, but what do you see like as a coaching structure overall, right? With uh between what We had from Fizdale to Miller to now Thibodeau. What do you what do you see in that? Like, what, what should we expect from the and like the differences from all three?
2: Um, yeah, it's tough. So I don't I don't know that I have too much to say about. Um, so I could talk about Fisdale and Miller's offensive X's and nose, but I haven't really gotten into um, Ibs, uh stuff too much. So like his defense, I'm sort of just familiar with. Uh, from watching games. Um, but I haven't focused a lot on, um, I know he, so like in Chicago, he liked to do a lot of that. Like, um, I mean, he had, there were the Derrick Rose years, but there were also the years where like he used sort of Joakim Noah, um, almost like in, in similar ways that the Nuggets use, um, Jok- uh, Jokic sometimes, um, where like lots of like guys running around screens and, um, uh Noah was like, you know, like the sort of like the initiator, but from the, uh, uh, from the uh, free throw line sort of area of the court, right? Um, so like he, he does have at least some flexibility. He's, he's changed it. And then with um, Minnesota, I remember seeing him do some cool stuff with Cat where like, um, you know, like he did a lot of, there was like a lot of pick and pop stuff, but he also, he, did, he fed him some post-ups too. Um, I'm trying to remember, like, I think I'd have to sit down and like really get into the, get into the film to see what sort of schemes they're running. Uh, uh, I'm certainly not like a motion offense kind of guy. Uh, it's not, uh, not that, but um, what sort of sets he tends to favor or whether they just like buried um, too much across his coaching years to really uh, say like, this is, this is bread and butter. I'm not, I'm not sure, but yeah. So I guess I could get into a little bit of like the difference between uh, Fizz and Miller. Um, but uh, when we're, when we're talking at least offensively, um, uh, I don't have too much to say about, about Tibbs scheme. Okay. Yeah. No, no doubt. No, do you,
1: do you, do you, either of you have um, any opinions as to why Tibbs failed in Minnesota and why you know, and why maybe that would change up? Because I mean, he had Butler, he had Cat, he had a squad. You know what I mean? Players that the Knicks just don't have talent-wise, uh, and he failed there. We have these high expectations for a squad with significantly less talent. Like, where do you got? How do you guys see that playing out? What was his issues over there, and how will that change?
2: So I don't have high expectations, <laughs> at least not this year. Um, yeah. uh, but yeah so i i mean i don't I didn't follow that situation super closely, but I guess just a couple things I'll say one they, they he did make the playoffs um and the team looked pretty good and they but they had a bunch of injuries that year um I think Jimmy Butler was out quite a bit if I'm remembering correctly um the playoff year, and then it was like when he was there, their winning percentage was um, uh, actually really really good, but when he was out uh it sucked um so Maybe some of that's just, like, Jimmy Butler is, you know, really good. Um, like, borderline, maybe top 10 player. Um, uh, and that can that can go a long ways, especially when you put Cat in a sort of, like, secondary role um, uh, and not a primary role. He begins to flourish a lot more. Um, but, yeah, uh, I, I mean, so, like, another th- – the second thing I'll say is – so, I mean, I think he had some success with the first thing. Um, but the second thing I'll say is I, I do take serious – like, I think it's difficult – Um, some people have pointed or like have tried to um, make light of or uh, say that uh, you know some of his personal uh, problems with players were like not really his fault for various reasons so like one thing I will say is I think when you have as many um, personal confrontations with people as he did in Minnesota it's unlikely that at least that at least some of them are (laughs) up or it's it's highly likely that at least some of them are his fault um, or that he played some role in them, right? Like, um, there was confrontations with ownership. There were confrontations, I mean, with uh, some uh, uh, reporters. There were confrontations with players. There were, like, there was, like, bad blood in lots of places. So, like, I hear the sort of, like, well, you know, sometimes people say, like, it was really, you know, like, maybe Wiggins and Carl anthony Towns didn't want to put in the work, and so it was, like, it was their fault in a lot of ways for not being willing to really buy in and, and sort of give the effort that's necessary to win at a high level that are required of them. May, and I think maybe there's some of that could be true. Um, but it's hard for me to sort of like think that, you know, some of that confrontation is not tied back to Tibbs. So I'm hopeful. Uh, I, I think in New York, if that scenario had played out, it would have been just like, man, we'd, we'd talk about that for the next like 20 years It'd be like –
0: you know, there's uh, um, minimum, uh, yeah. minimum 20 years that'd be yeah. talked about. That will be added on with the whole Dolan ownership. That would be, we wouldn't hear that until the Knicks probably won uh, a championship. And then, then some would be like, yeah, we won that championship, but remember how those guys sucked. And it's like, that's, that's how it would go. Um,
2: I like that. You said when the Knicks win a championship. <laughs>
0: It's good. Look, man the the probability of odds it's out there, so it's gonna have to land in the laps at some point.
2: <laughs> wow,
1: Alex that that optimism from Alex regarding the Knicks is unprecedented. But all of a sudden, the world's gonna change. And the Knicks are gonna be good. Is that gonna happen for the Jets too? <laughs> What's happening right now?
0: Uh, the Jets, not so much. Not until not until Gase is fired. Um, but yeah, so I guess I guess moving this whole conversation along then with, you know, Thibodeau being the coach coming in, where do we, like, who do you see, who do you see striving under Thibodeau? Like, who do you see, like, fitting this roster? And, like, do you, is there anyone, like, off the, off the top of your head, like, it's a free agent that you think he should, like, make it a, make it a, you know, a primary goal to add to this team, to, to take him to this, like, somewhat in-between, competent, rebuilding level?
1: I'll, I'll go first. I – I honestly why, – why I asked about the Tibbs uh, Minnesota Cat Butler situation was because personally I think that him being GM was a little bit too much for him and being the coach, like he just wasn't cut for that. Um, and I was kind of wondering – I don't know if I missed it personally or if there was like already like an outspread rumor about the Tibbs-Cat relationship because I have this weird, weird, weird feeling that Cat is – he has an insane contract, Right. And he wants out of Minnesota. But he's he's there for he's there for a really long time. So I would not gonna be surprised if Tibbs gets cat to the Knicks, because we are the Kentucky Knicks, all right? We are the Kentucky CAA Knicks as it stands, and we have Tibbs, so like it just feels like a perfect fit. I don't know what we would we'd have to get rid of to get towns, but if you're asking me who I think fits with Tibbs, it would be Towns, in my opinion. Like- I know it's agent though so i know it doesn't like really answer your question but i i I just i if there's one guy i just feel like i'm not going to be surprised if i wake up one day and it's like nick's traded for this x you know superstar and it's completely random i i have a feeling that's going to be cat
0: yeah i i I, before i touch on that and sorry for overlooking your question about uh (laughs) tibbs's failure in in minnesota just because i don't know how many times could we go around this this bush and just like discuss like how did it fail it's like we know it was like he got a lot of power in minnesota there's very few guys who can be greg popovich or if we're going to go to football be like a bill belichick to do both the uh operations standpoint and then be the coach that's a lot of responsibilities it's a lot of things that you're managing like from an administration level and as well as a coaching standpoint like you're telling me that you can work out the books, work out trades, figure out who you need and discuss like how to do scouting while at the same time you're talking about player development, implementing X and O's, X's and O's, resting guys. That's just, that's, just like, that's just the bare minimum just like that whole thought process, right? It's major, like one of the many reasons why he failed. Also, as Dallas pointed out, like his relationships with like everybody is just you can't, you know, this is, I actually legit just wrote about this for Hoops Habit. It's you can't, you can't have, uh, you can't have you can't be abrasive there's a level of being like there's having like high expectations and demanding a lot out of your players but you cannot be an abrasive personality to uh to the extent where it just is detrimental to the team right like guys gotta keep their egos in checks and that's why i think that there can be some success having someone with like johnny bryant uh you know, uh, K- uh, Kenny Payne, uh, Mike Woodson. We're talking about three guys who, like, everyone, even the beat has been going on about saying, like, these guys, relationships. You got you got uh, Wes in the building. You got Leon Rose in the building. All these guys, what they care is about relationships. And then we can go down throughout the entire, like, front office staff between parents and and whoever. Uh, it's all about relationships. So I think having a lot of people to offset that one guy, you know, will make it work. I think it will make it work. And I think they're going to have to talk to him too, because that is his guy. So they can be, you know, Wes, Rose, Tibbs is his guy. That's their boys. They're boys, right? Um, So I think they can go heart to heart and have that conversation. With now the addition of like who can help this team be better, I am not that high on Cat coming to this team. Is there an opportunity? Is there a chance? Yeah, him and Kenny Payne, I think all the other coaches that we hired, there's a chance. There also has to be show like some uh it has to be some like visual, like some recognition of like growth as a team before that even happens. Unless the Timberwolves are just that abysmal there. It's like, at least I go to play for my childhood team and I'm back home near Jersey. And, you know, you know, heart, my, my condolences to Kat and his family after losing his mom and maybe want to be close to his family who are back out in Jersey. You know, those are all like realistic things to think about. And I, I, I get that point, but I think the actual like realistic values that we see is like one, we keep bringing up, all these podcasts whether it's now Dallas whether it was Chris Percy Einan or now Chip Murphy we all talk about DJ Augustine who played for uh Tibbs I think that's gonna be like a valid addition I also think you know someone like maybe Gallo would be also good for this team to create some uh four spacing uh I know people say Bertans I'm not really high on Bertans because for a guy who's a place of four he doesn't really rebound and do much else than shoot but I, I think definitely Gallo Definitely like a solid point guard, whoever we can get. Minimum is DJ Augustine. Um, I really like to get uh, Jeremy Grant on this team after his performance in the Nuggets. I know people are just like, we can throw him the bag and try to get him over here. That would be like, that'd be great. He plays solid defense. He's really developed as like an offensive player. And he can play, you know, he's a small forward, but he's tall enough where he can play the four. He was guarding LeBron. He was taking on AD. He was, he was doing everything. So I think those type of guys would definitely help uh, Tibbs. And the Knicks would just have to be comfortable throwing bags for Grant. Um, and not, not so much Gallo. Uh, and not even really DJ Augustine but those are some guys I would see Dallas. Is there anyone like from that whole market and even maybe even draft, like, like I know we have a Coro like that's out there in Basel, but is there any one that you see?
2: Um, I mean, I'm a giant grant fan. I love him, uh, deeply. <laughs> I was, as a Syracuse fan sort of growing up. So, um, uh, into, into that from, from way back when. And he also is just like the style of player that I really, really enjoy watching. Um, Smart, tough defender. And then like the guy who he's he's like toolsy on the offensive side, but it takes him a while, but he starts getting it. The pieces are coming together a little bit. Um, the shots looking pretty good. Um yeah, no, I'm a big fan of him. Um and I think he's especially if he uh retains let's um let me see. I uh see what what did he shoot from three this year? It was it was quite good, right?
0: I'm pretty sure it was he started to improve he started to even get better as the season went along, but I'm pretty hmm.
2: sure it looks like it was only maybe 34%. I thought it was, I thought he shot better than that. I mean, Oh no, he shot 38%. <laughs> yeah. That's both. 38%. that's uh, and 39% last year. So that, those are, yeah, that's, that's the sort so that's the sort of guy you could put right next to Mitch. Um, uh, and I think you have, you have a really nasty four or five combo, um, just like with the, uh, uh, three point shooting and roll lob threat. Plus on the defensive side, um, you know Grant uh, can he can switch. He's a reasonably good help defender. And then Mitch, of course. I mean that's that's a, That's a that's a nice like put 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 a primary next to those guys with RJ and My God. Um, a shooter. Uh, and, and hopefully the primary can shoot. <laughs> and then you've got you got a stew cooking right there.
1: That's interesting. you think he's going to opt out of his uh, nine million dollar contract? He's a player option this year.
0: I mean, it depends on like the status of like the cap, right? But he's definitely earned more money than nine million. I mean, unless he really wants to stay, unless they really, unless the Nuggets are really like, hey, we want to keep, we want to make it like flexible to keep everyone around, like bring Millsap back, you know? Because Millsap, I believe, is also done this year. Um, the they'd have to re, they'd have to like promise him like, hey. We're going to give you the bag that the following year if you just take it because we need to bring Millsap back because he Millsap, too, on the Nuggets, and we're going to touch on this later, really adds that Nuggets depth and uh, just, like, their whole entire, like, that's a, that's a fun team. I, I love the, like, sad to see him out, but Millsap adds another dimension of, like, a passing big. So they'd have to do some sort of negotiation. But I think Grant, depending on the salary cap, uh, would opt out try to get more money.
1: Vote for Millsap, best jersey in the bubble?
0: Definitely. <laughs> um but yeah so Dallas uh anyone else that you see like uh that you see or is there anyone like in the point guard or not really like feeling like too many or is it like just too hard to like figure out uh who would be added
2: yeah so I mean I think um the uh this is not like an original idea to me um I think um Ashwin has been one of the people uh Ashwinipoo at, at <laughs> if you got am sure everybody knows
0: oh Schwinn okay
2: <laughs> uh, He's been, uh, he's been pushing this idea. I think he's the first one to have pushed it. So it's not original to me, but he talks a lot about this, um, uh, you know, um, having somebody who, uh, puts guys in a position to succeed and makes the roster make sense. Um, and like, I really do think that you need somebody, I like, I have bought into that, um, who sort of forces maybe ideally RJ down to the three. Um, I think, and, um, Uh, is able to sort of like run the offense capably so that the uh, young guys we have can get reps um, in. So this goes back to the, you know, the the two philosophies we were talking about earlier, but so they can get reps in um, the positions that they'll be in in the future, you know, I'm imagining that Mitch will be a much better lob threat if he actually gets some lobs to practice. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, like if he had somebody who could uh, reliably hit that, um, hit that pass. So I'm a big fan of getting somebody who's fairly competent. But on the other hand, I'm not a fan of trying to get like a Chris Paul type or something like this because, um, I mean, there's lots of reasons why I'm out on Chris Paul. I love Chris Paul is one of my favorite players. I love. Uh, deep, big, big, big Chris Paul fan. Um, And five years ago, I would have uh, done a lot to have have seen him on the Knicks. But now at this point, um, yeah, it's just, uh, I think it's a really bad decision. He's going to make us too good too soon. um, And he's on a contract that's likely to lose value that we won't get anything back from. Um, And the on-court value that he will provide is going to, gonna make us good enough to put us um, uh, or make our odds of getting a high pick in this next draft, which is supposed to be one of the better drafts we've seen in a long time, um, uh, which, you know, young talent would be really nice uh, right now. We desperately need it. it will probably make us too good uh, 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 to really have a good, or or it'll decrease our likelihood of getting a good pick. Um, uh, So you combine those things. And I just don't see that like the value that he provides on the court by putting guys in their right positions is like that much greater than what you get from like, um, a DJ Augustine, uh, sort, uh, sort of, sort of, sort of stop gap, um, such that it's worth giving up that likelihood at a higher pick such that it's worth committing to a contract that is likely not going to be movable. It's not super long, um, but still, and such that it's worth giving up an asset or two for um, at this point, when Chris Paul is also not the type um, uh, that's going to be attracting any free agents like at this age, right? Nobody's going to come play next to Chris Paul um, for the next five years because he's not going to be playing for five more years, right? Like,
1: Yeah, but I don't know. I've, I've been seeing... I don't know if this is like a, a national rumor, but I think that Chris Paul is going to end up on Milwaukee. I think that Giannis uh, needs a point guard, and I think that they have the pieces to just move him straight there—a uh, nice, easy deal. I, I agree. I don't think that people are lining up to to sign with Chris Paul like long term. I don't think he's going to be necessarily right for the Knicks, but I, he does fit perfectly like with a superstar. Like, I think he. I think he could I think if he was on Milwaukee this year, they would be. They would be way better in the playoffs, obviously, but I think they actually could have been over the top. Like they could have been in the Western Conference Finals.
0: I uh, mean, Eastern.
1: Eastern Conference Finals. Sorry, I'm I'm too wrapped up in yesterday. Yeah, Eastern Conference Finals.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, no worries, no worries. All right, no, I I, I agree. We do need a, a playmaker to do it. I just don't know who it's going to be between Chris Paul, John's nightmare, Fred van bleet where we throw him in the bag too too much money in the bag. uh or John's other nightmare, just DJ Augustine. So you don't really have a lot of options, John. So just accept DJ Augustine at this point.
1: This is my life as a Knicks fan, man. It's either take a take a mediocre point guard or take no point guard. That's just how it's been. So I guess I'll go with mediocre, but I'm not going to be happy about it.
0: Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. We have to wait for free agency and the draft to go by, and then we can see what happens. But you know what? Let's conclude the Knicks portion of this podcast right here and then go on to our favorite portion, etc. All right, so we'll be right back after this break. All right, and we're back for the Etcetera portion of the podcast. John, what do we got for Etcetera today?
1: What's up, Alex? And for today, man, oh, man, what a crazy game in that Western Conference Finals to end with LeBron just taking down Denver, man. What do you guys think of that game?
0: It was wild. I was I was kind of sad. I really wanted the Nuggets to do it. In my, like, I, in my brain, it was like the Lakers are going to do it because LeBron can't just deny LeBron. And then, but my heart, it was like, I wanted the nuggets. I, I really wanted to see another three, one, like come back just to be like, what the hell is going on with this team? But we didn't get that. We got the Lakers going to the finals. Uh, was it was after like 10 years, I think someone posted and Laker fans are just going wild. Yeah. Try being a Knicks fan. All right. Uh, before I hear any, like it's been a drought. It's been too long when you've had uh fed, and, uh, you know, Langston Galloway is like your, your guys. And I don't hate any of them. Not saying I hate any of them, but that's when we were running with,
1: like, come back and just
0: don't even talk to me. Just
1: don't next man. Let's just, let's just, let, let's just stay happy for like four seconds. But LeBron is, LeBron is, seems to be the, the king of the gentleman sweeps, right? He's just every, every series is just LeBron and five, LeBron and five, LeBron and five. This one, he kind of switched it up. He didn't do, he didn't lose game one. Um, but what did I mean I Jokic man I love Jokic I know that Dallas mentioned him uh, during the Knicks portion but I, I mean I would do anything for somebody like Jokic on the team but that's a pipe dream what do you guys think about Jamal Murray and 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 do you think that he's going to I mean obviously we it, you think he's going to keep excelling but do you think this whole Denver squad the way it's uh made is with Murray and Jokic is going to actually be like a uh a contender in the west for years and years to come
2: um i so uh, on the one hand i want to say i want to say they have uh all of the talent to do so um but they're not but the west is so deep right um and so like denver um it's easy to look at like oh they made the western conference finals and think think like i think you know people start talking about them as this future team but it's also important to remember that they were uh i mean by all rights they should have been out in the first round or i mean you know against utah utah should have beat them um they were up 3-1 uh it's highly unlikely that a team loses when when up 3-1 and then la should have beat them as well so like i don't view them it's not like they're dominating and giving me lots of reason to believe that they're significantly better than a number of other teams out in the western conference um i think like that clippers series i think if you run that back like if they played the seven game series a hundred times I still probably think the Clippers win it more more times than the Nuggets win it. Um, like I don't think this Nuggets team is better than that Clippers team. They're really good, um, and I think they're like right on that precipice, or like you know, right on the edge of being um, perennial contenders. But I I do think they need they need um, maybe a third like a third player or Jamal Murray to like some of this like absurdly hot shooting has to really really stick. And I think it's just that absurdly hot shooting is—it's too hot. Uh, yeah, more of a bubble thing.
1: But it, but one thing uh, I, I wanted to mention was during the pie you were talking about that lob pass across the court to that corner three. Murray had the nicest pass to that corner three in like the last two minutes of the game yesterday. Where I, I don't know why it just stuck in my head when he threw it. He like held the follow through for the pass, like <laughs> like he just you know, and 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 the three missed, but. I think that was, like, a huge – I mean, that was a nail in the coffin once the Denver missed that three. I forgot who shot it. Was it Grant? I think it was. Uh,
0: I I think it was Grant uh, who took that
1: three. Um, But you think the Lakers – you guys think the Lakers, this this is it? Like, Kobe year, LeBron, you know, like, this is it for the Lakers. They're going to take down the East no matter what?
0: Yeah, I feel that way. I feel that it's going to be just Lakers, do it for Kobe. You know, maybe this will – might be i'm not saying lebron is retiring or anything of that nature but this might be the last year lebron gets a championship and we just now carry this all out like on a silver platter being like you can now have the true argument like lebron's the greatest compare him to mj and have that debate for infinity you talk about uh, a tribute to kobe where the year that we lose kobe rip um condolences to his family you know now that we have like the Lakers do it in his memory, 24, eight, whatever that goes up this year too. I feel like it's all written for the Lakers to do it. And if the heat or the Celtics win, it's, I feel like it's just a classic, just like if the Celtics win, it's just like classic matchup. Heat is just like, LeBron go against one of his uh, former teams and we get to see what happens. So either way, this whole thing is got is like scripted up to be like this memorable like year in the bubble. That's how I feel. Yeah, uh, I don't know. What do you feel, Dallas? I
2: I actually think Miami has a could be could be L.A. I don't I don't think that they're they would be favored, um, but I mean Miami beat so. Milwaukee wasn't playing maybe as good as they played during the regular season, but my, Milwaukee is a championship caliber team. Um, I there's no. I mean, in my mind, I view. I mean, Milwaukee slightly better coached. I think is like um, very easily. Uh, I mean, they could have won the championship last year. Um, I think, um, and and I think they were really close to winning it last year. Um, and just, I mean, yeah, just their. I mean, their net rating from the regular season is chant is just championship caliber. Um, so Miami beating them is that's. I mean, it's a testament to Miami, even though maybe Milwaukee wasn't playing at their best. And then you had the honest injury towards the end of the series. Um, it's still like Miami looked like the better team for much of that series. Um, and then now they're kind of, I mean, it's It's three with three, two now. Right. Um, but it's still, they still to me look like a slightly better team than Boston Um and so I think they're going to be worse. I think they're worse than Los Angeles, but I don't think it's by as extreme measures or like as, as much as some people think. Um, individually, if you look at like, you know, LeBron, clearly better than Jimmy Butler. AD, clearly better than Bam Adebayo. Um, but then once you get to like 3-8 or something like that,
1: you're so right. Anything else. Like, after those two, it's like the, the, the scale is, like, significant in Miami's way. So, I'm, I'm with you there, man. They don't look that – the Lakers don't look that impressive. Like, they have spurts. They have spurts where it's like, oh, my goodness, LeBron's unreal. Rondo's doing Rondo things. Anthony Davis unstoppable. But then they have, like, long stretches where it's like, who's going to score on this team? Like, Rondo's doing ridiculous things. Andy Davis doesn't have a rebound. You know what I mean? And I feel like – and, like, now they're relying on, like, Danny Green threes, which he was pretty hot this series, but I don't know. Every time he shoots it up, like, it used to be, every time he shoots it up, I'm like, all right, cash. Now every time he shoots it up, I'm like, I really don't know. Like, you know, and, and Marquis Flores had a pretty good series. KCP had a really good series. Is that going to really translate against the Miami Heat? I mean, I, I don't know. The Miami Heat are not going to fold. You know, Denver's guys, they kind of fold against these guys. Like, AD's really good. And, you know, LeBron. I don't think Miami, he can care less about LeBron and AD, like, standing right there in front of them. Like, they're just like, we're faster. We could shoot better. We have Spo who knows everything about you, LeBron. He knows your weaknesses. He knows your strengths. And I think that's one of the most underrated uh, ordeals about this – about a Miami uh, Lakers championship. So I- – video guy man he's been watching videos you know for, for Miami for like 30 years and then when he had LeBron in the coach and think about it how many coaches do you know that could last long even like all the coaches like he only brings his guys he has separate things but Spo, Spo made it through and, and, and nobody ever said a bad thing about uh, Eric Spolster as a coach and uh, those kind of guys they tend to figure out the weaknesses of especially their own players. Like LeBron's on that squad for years. He figured out his weaknesses and how to, like, minimize them. And so, I don't know, maybe he'll be able to exploit them. I think it's going to go seven regardless, to be honest with you.
0: Are we all in agreement that it's going to be Miami going to the finals, though?
1: Yeah, I think I'm there. What about you, Dallas? I think that's the most likely outcome.
2: Yeah.
0: I think it's pretty hard for Boston to come back. Like, Miami has them, like, in their grasp right now. I know they haven't really necessarily been on fire, but they've been keeping the games competitive at least the last uh, two games.
1: But I, th- yeah, I mean, I'm, I shouldn't poo-poo the Celtics. I, I do think they're really good, but to be honest, when you have Tice on the court and you're like and you're like in crunch time or if, or if Kemba Walker is not being cardiac Kemba, I, it's just hard for me to see it. I think Tatum is carrying this team, though. Uh, I think Tatum is a superstar. He, he's, he's unbelievable, that guy. He could do it all. Um, and for some reason, he's just of course like it, it's it's almost like sacrilege to say that the Celtics are not uh, fitting well together, but it just feels like their chemistry is off. I don't I don't I don't know about what you guys think. The whole like Jalen Brown and Tatum, they seem like such a perfect fit with Kemba and Gordon Hayward. Like it seems perfect, but I don't know. It just seems like the chemistry is off. Could be the bubble situation. Could be Gordon Hayward in and out of the lineup. Like, I don't know what it is. It Just seems off.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I think. I think for the Celtics, they get to a point where it's, I think we've seen this throughout most of their matchups set. they start to slow down. Then they got to get like rejuvenated, come back, slow down, start to get rejuvenated, to come back. I don't think they're necessarily there yet. They're still a young team relatively um, with Tatum and uh, Brown, but I don't know. I think maybe another year with like Kemba in the system, having get, get healthier and then figuring out what to do at their five, even though Tice and, you know, uh, who is it? Is it uh
2: Time Lord.
0: Time Lord. The Time Lord himself. Um if they uh if they are gonna like make it to the next next level, next level, they need another center. I feel like they need uh, like a true like center. Those two guys are good, but I think they're better rotational guys, and you can't have Cantor either.
1: And Wanamaker, dude. Wanamaker is getting real time minutes. Like that's Marty Collins 2.0. Can't have it.
0: <laughs> yeah, but John. Moving on from the bubble. Yankees, man.
1: And we, I mean, Alex, we've been talking about this for so long. Like This is what we died for in March, man. We died in March for this exact moment where we have the MLB playoffs ramping up. We have NFL like week three where it's the preseason's over kind of in our eyes where teams are starting to, you know, be who they really are. And now we got the MLB playoffs, man. The MLB playoffs are back. The Yankees stink. Let's be honest, okay? They're not where we want them to be. But at the same time, we have Luke Voigt, who is an absolute monster with his foot injury all year limping around the bases. But he leads the MLB with home runs with 22. We got DJ LeMahieu, who took off what feels like half the season, right? And then the Yankees lost 15 out of 20 with him not there. My man is leading the MLB in average. And it's not even close, Um with the AL, and he's going he's gonna to win the batting average. So, it looks like we have a squad. What I'm really worried about, man, is our pitching. So, we got Cole. Hopefully, I mean, if, if it goes up to us. he pitch every single inning of every single game. So, it's not going to work out that way. So, we have Cole. I'm, I'm going to ask you two questions, Alex. Sure. One, what do you think about uh, Higgy being Cole's catcher and Sanchez going to be out of that lineup uh, when Higgy is starting? And number two, uh double-fold question. One, how do you feel about Tanaka starting number two, right? He's been kind of shaky, but he's always good in the playoffs. But he's been shaky, man. Um, and it's his last season with the Yankees, interestingly enough. But I gonna ask you this, because so th- uh, this year, the division series is going to be a, a, best out of, a best out of five. So game three, best out of three. So game three, who are you putting up? Are you putting up Hack? Are you putting up Debbie Garcia? Are you putting Jordan Montgomery? Like, where are you going with there? Because that is really where my heart starts to hurt.
0: Yikes! I don't know. I've, that's a tough question, man. I don't know. I'd have to see who's whoever's hot is the last week is going to be my answer um, of the season. Nobody's hot.
1: Nobody's hot. That's the whole thing. Nobody's hot right now. That's the whole problem with everyone besides Cole.
0: No, no one's hot right now. But it's like I guess whoever has like the last like. Game, I think you might have to just go. I'd hate to say, I'd hate to say, hop, but because because he, he's, I know he's like he's one of the guys that we paid, who we got over here. You might just have to give him the nominal start because of his status on the team. Um, I don't know, man. That's just like that's a wild card of just like a mess. This is just kind of like the AJ Burnett uh, type of uh, type of situation that we have.
1: That's perfect. He's AJ Burnett. He has the name, right? He he, he killed us uh, a bunch of years before he showed up to the Yankees. And now he's here. He stunk it up a bit, but he has some games. Yeah, uh, we're probably gonna have a short leash on him. I, I have, I love Debbie Garcia. I have like, I have like a love for him. I, I feel like he's uh, mini Pedro. Um, of course, high hopes, but I'm really worried about Aaron Judge, man, and the strike zone and all this nonsense going on where we can't, we can't. We've been having such issues with the umpires, whether that's our pitchers not being able to get a strike, whether that's our batters not being able to get a ball. It's been so weird. And I don't know if that's a Yankees thing, right? Or like an Aaron Boone thing, or maybe it's our reputation. You know what I mean? I don't know if you guys have an opinion on it.
0: Dallas, are you a Yankee – first of all, Dallas, are you a big baseball fan, and two, are you a Yankees
2: fan? Uh, no, no. I sort of grew up with a little bit of a, like a Mets fandom, My my – Pops uh, was a big Mets fan. So I occasionally watch the Mets. Um, I've had years that I've been pretty into it. But uh, the last two I've sort of like checked out and been, um, I don't know. It's, I, it's tough to be uh, super invested in multiple sports <laughs> and have time to do other things.
0: <laughs> I totally hear you. And I'm sorry that you have to listen to us Yankee fans talk about the Yankees end as a Mets fan. We actually have nothing against uh, Mets fan. Um, but we we do know that uh, some people just hate that the uh, grotesque love for the team and just being so cocky and confident, um, which we will tone back whatever we try to do on this uh, podcast. <laughs> so we can't not hold that. And this, and honestly, we're both Jets fans and Knicks fans, so this is the only sport that we can feel super confident.
1: I'd say if we were Mets fans too, we would. We, this would not be going well right now. Things, the- every, every, all our whole soul would be just on fire
2: this tiger p- i grew up as a knicks fan a mets fan and a buffalo bills fan uh, that was a really bad time that was a real. it was just everybody lost all the, it was just constantly like being sad about sports
0: well at least the bills are doing well so you can uh you can hold that they're 2-0 unlike our uh, dumpster fire of a team that's uh and 2 with i don't even know if you call gays a head coach um but I guess, I guess to, to move this thing along, John, wh- who do you want then as a, as, for, a, a, as a matchup? Do you want the Sox? Do you want the White Sox? Or do you want uh, the Twins?
1: Well, being that we own the Twins, I would love to have Minnesota. But this is not happening, man. We're going to get the White Sox. And let me tell you something. The White Sox are almost a mirror image of the Yankees. Uh, we, there's a lot of smack talk between organizations. Uh, the fan bases and organizations um, but they got Tim Anderson who's been a beast they have some pretty good starters um, I'm actually I, I'm actually a little bit worried about the White Sox in a, in a weird baseball short series Cole's gonna have to step up I'm terrified of game three I I, I can't tell you the anxiety I have right now thinking about game three with J.A. Happ taking the mound like with a, with a short leash, right? So when you're a pitcher on a short leash in the playoffs, I don't know. No fans kind of changes everything for the first couple series. I really just need the Yankees to make it to the ALCS because it's in the bubble in San Diego, and I will come to San Diego. All right, Dallas? I need the Yankees to make it to San Diego, and I will come out to San Diego. That is all I need in my life.
2: Hey, you let me know, and we'll go surfing.
1: <laughs> oh, oh, I'm down. I'm, I'm down. I'm in. You hear that? You hear that, Jay? Heck, we need you, game three, so I can come back and see. Go yeah,
0: and go surfing. Write write it down. I guess I'd have to go for myself. I probably have to go. Uh, I guess I feel in Minnesota. Like the only concern with Minnesota is that they're really good at home. They only got six losses at home. They won twenty four games. So if we got to face them at their, let's see, at, we would have to face them. Yeah, we're gonna have to face them in the on their home turf twice. That's 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 tough. At least with the White Sox, you could potentially.
1: I mean the uh, the the. There won't be any traveling for the MLB playoffs. It'll only be in one stadium. So the home is just going to be the, the inning thing. So like bottom of the ninth, top of the ninth.
0: Okay. So, but where are they, so where are they going to play then?
1: So the Yankees have packed their, as it stands right now on September 27th, when we're recording this, the Yankees have packed their bags. We had their, our last regular season game with Clark Schmidt on the mound. Uh, and we don't know where we're going. <laughs> we honestly have no idea. So that's, a, that's, where, that's where it is right now. But we're going to be on the road.
0: So we're going to be going to whoever has like the better records, of uh, field advantage. Then don't give me Minnesota. Give me, give me the White Sox. Give me the White Sox. I'll take, I'll take the White White Sox because they're they're middling between home and away um, for both. So I'll I'll, I'll take that gamble. That, that's where I was
1: saying. All right. Well, that, that I mean, we we could wrap up the episode on that. But I'm just going to throw it out there right now that I am terrified of of Sanchez, and I I'm scared that he's going to be a rod in the playoffs and I'm not happy about it, so I'm just going to throw that out right there.
0: Oh, man. I mean, I'm more worried about his defense, but such is the life as as being, like, I guess, Yankee fans, which is not as bad as being Jets fans, which we're going to now, since this is Sunday, it's 2.46. We're going to have to watch this game at 4 o'clock, so that way we can give you proper Jets coverage for Friday's pod. But I just want to give a big thank you to – Dallas for coming on the pod and talking X's and O's and breaking down, uh, systems. Um, Dallas, tell the people where they can find you.
2: Uh, yeah, you can find me at the Strickland. I right there on occasion. Um, I am super busy, so I don't do it as much as I would like, but, um, there's an enormous amount of great content there. Uh, we just sort of like started the website up. So if you haven't checked it out, um, just go check out the Strickland. Um, and then on Twitter, I'm at Dallas Amico underscore. Um, at Dallas Amico underscore and yeah, sometimes especially once the uh, the Knicks are back, I'll be doing a lot of like uh, film stuff on there. I sort of break down defensive plays and offensive all you know, all that sort of X's and O's stuff. So yeah, um,
0: awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on. And for people who don't know what uh, the how to find the strict one is the strict dot land. Um, make sure to do that. Awesome content, awesome writers over there. You know love schwinn and drew on the pod a lot of phenomenal writers so but you know go find dallas and stuff over there you gave uh, john and i some uh, flashbacks because we're two attorneys when you did the uh, the strickland test and uh we're both having all uh panics attacks of uh going through uh you
1: know civil <laughs> procedure as soon as i read that like now we're doing tests like I was like, oh no! Like about do the Erie Doctrine. Things things are happening
0: right now. They do the two prong test. Yeah. Th- thanks a lot, Dallas, for uh, giving us uh, some heart attack. But thank you everyone for listening to this podcast. Hope you enjoy it all the time. Please make sure to like, share, and subscribe, and tell your fa- tell your friends, tell your family about us. We're just two guys who love the Knicks, the Jets, the Yankees, and you can join us and be miserable together. No, was More- so, but thank you everyone. See you on the next pod. Thanks, Dallas.
1: Let's go Knicks.